This is an European Public Service Union podcast. Welcome to another episode of Absu Podcasts, your online resource for learning about public service labor union initiatives and projects, as well as the struggles and challenges they face. My name is Bojan Stanislavski, and I will be your host. Pablo Sanchez, APSU's Communication and Public Relations Officer, is today's co-host. Hello, Pablo. Hello. Good morning. And now I'd like to introduce Sean Sweeney, our special guest. Uh, he is with the School of Labor and Urban Studies at City University of New York, and he is the coordinator of Trade Unions for Energy and Democracy. Thanks for taking the time and being with us. Good to be here. Thank you. Right, Sean, so uh, you've written and spoken about the need for unions to be concerned about climate change and, um, as you put it in one of your articles, extending solidarity to ecosystems. Uh, you're now uh, the coordinator of the Trade Unions for Energy uh, Democracy Network campaign. And let's begin with this. You know, I'm no energy expert by any stretch, uh, but... Uh, you know, basing myself on everything that I read, listen, or watch about the global energy uh, market, it seems like literally everything with and about it is wrong. It's owned by greedy corporations that pollute the air, the soil, the water. Uh, the energy production is based on fossil fuels, mostly like coal and oil or, or, or gas. Uh, and... Uh, it obviously is leading uh, the humankind to major disaster. Uh, some reports even claim that it's pretty much too late to do anything substantial about it. And how do you actually democratize such a pathological architecture? <laughs> well, thanks for that easy question. Um, right. Well, look. Well, no one said it's going to be easy. There's this. I think you're right. The first point you made about if we're talking about a system of energy for profit, then there is absolutely no incentive to use less of it. In fact, both coal, oil, gas, and renewable energy companies are very satisfied with an expanding global energy market. They all grow together. There's no uh, competition between the two. One of the myths about the energy debates is that the renewable companies are in a war with the fossil fuel companies. In fact, it's not true. In fact, there's many um, spillovers between the two, uh, the two sectors. So we have to, from a climate perspective and a human perspective, we need to reduce energy consumption while making it more efficient and decarbonizing energy supply. We know these are the three main tasks that we face. This can only be accomplished in a non-market public goods framework. It cannot be done on the basis of energy for profit. And we I, you know, don't want to get too technical, but these are some of the issues that lie at the heart of the whole energy debates at the moment, along with energy poverty and uh, an inadequate service for people. Right, but what is energy democracy really? Well, it's a basically energy democracy became really a placeholder term the movement was a uh, broader environmental and progressive trade union movement was talking about the need to develop an alter having more control, more popular control over the energy systems. 
some saw it in the form of community energy and individual uh, production of energy, rooftop solar systems, etc. And about 10 or 12 years ago, there was enormous confidence that the availability of the sun and the wind and the, and the fairly available technologies would lead to an energy transition driven by citizens. The, the trade unions took a different view in the sense that we saw it as anchored in the need to reclaim energy to public control so we could plan the transition of which distributed generation, rooftop solar and those things could be integrated into a new public energy system that was issued a new mandate, the mandate of transitioning from a dirty energy to clean energy. Okay. All right, but the question of democracy, like the notion of democracy, speaks to the uh, to the management in general, and uh, I I understand, or I I would assume that uh, when you say to take the energy sector or the energy production out of the market schema, that means uh, and planning it, uh, that means and and social. Ex exercising social control that means we're talking about of course trade unions because we're talking about workers that are are in the working in those plants that produce energy or or mm, work in the mines where the uh, fossil fuels are uh, mined uh, and, uh, uh, and and it also sh I, I understand or I would assume involves or should involve consumers because I think this is uh, I, I mean, I suppose this is a very important segment. There are much more consumers of energy than workers actually employed in the sector. Right. Well, look, I mean, the term trade unions for energy, energy democracy is a contested term in many ways. Mm -hmm. For some, it's like, as I said, it's basically communities or individuals participating in the energy transition, more or less on the terms of the market. For others, it's about at the highest level of government. If we think that if we believe in democracy as in one member, one vote, then democratic decisions can be made at the level of government. And one of those decisions would be to take back energy into public ownership, which is on the agenda of governments like in the Mexican government. It might have been on the agenda of the UK government had the Labour Party been elected because that was part of the program. And we're seeing, even if it's not openly acknowledged, but governments are intervening more and more into failing energy markets. And one of the reasons why they're intervening is because they want to meet their targets that they've put forward in Paris, and they realize that the market can't deliver. So democracy operates at all levels and should operate all levels in the energy systems. Right. Uh, Pablo, let me go to you now. Uh, how do unions, particularly those in the public service sector, view uh, this concept of energy democracy and of democratizing that uh, sector? And uh, obviously, should this be happening, the unions would have a major role in, in the process. Uh, so are they enthusiastic? Are they skeptical? How do the discussions regarding climate change look, like, look on on your end, so to say. Well, they look difficult because um, on, on the one hand, you have the workers in the private companies and you have to defend their interest. But on the other hand, you have the societal vision. Huh? Um, and, and, and as Sean was saying, it's, it's, well, it's a term that is good for campaigning, but it's also work in progress. Um, and the thing, uh, how, can I, uh, how do I say it is, um, liberalization of the energy market is a fact. 
you know, it's been 20 years, the people celebrated, we were criticizing it. Prices are skyrocketing and most people are saying, what's going on? And what we do need is an, a, like a written alternative, a proposal of how would the grid be managed if tomorrow we had a magic wand and we could change policy making. We don't have the magic wand. Uh, there is other measures how policy change, uh, policy change happens, but we do need these proposals. And I would say most or many of, of our unions, uh, some are members of the two unions for energy democracy, I don't know, I haven't counted them, but quite a few, uh, do think the same. And they do see the governments, they do um, challenge the governments for a change to happen. And, and that's what we need. We need to have a plan. I mean, in our previous podcast, we talked about water. And, and there you can actually go back to your local level and see what's the, what's the water company. The usual water company was the, the space of, of operation. But here we, we, we are in a global European international marketing where the companies are being sold and bought, where there are commercialization, distribution, generation are, are, are divided. And then it's like, what's the alternative? We don't like this. We don't like prices going up. What do we propose? And then it's like, what do we propose at the global level, at the European level, at the Spanish level, at the French level, at the regional level, and so on and so forth. And this is a bit of a jigsaw that we are basically putting together uh, as, we, as we speak. But uh, I think it's a good term that allows us to say, we don't like what we, what we want. We have an alternative and we have different alternatives for different uh, people at different levels. And, you know, the day that we will have a policy change uh, will need to be there in order to ensure that the implementation is correct. Right. Okay. Uh, so I'd like to ask you, Sean, uh, are, are the unions uh, recognizing uh, the problem? Is it like they engage in, in, in the activities that you suggest? Uh, is it going smoothly or do you encounter uh, also negative reactions because uh, this is at least what the reputation of the unions is it's created by the mainstream uh, media that uh, unions are largely opposed to uh, measures that would uh, th that would you know be uh, be enacted in order to to prevent further deterioration of uh, of the climate, because they want to defend their base, their miners, workers in in, in huge uh, plants, and so on and so forth. Like, what is your what, what is your view? Is, is that maybe one of the myths that you uh, mentioned in the beginning of the program that uh, the unions perhaps do recognize the importance of the problem and and they are willing to engage? Well, the whole concept of just transition was based on the idea that workers don't want to be put in a position of choosing between having a job and destroying the, the environment. So just transition is, is, a, is an order, supposed to be an orderly and humane way of dealing with that particular problem. So even unions in the, in the energy sector who are in coal, oil and gas, understand this but what is problem is the implementation of just transition is is never um never uh, done in a way that is robust enough to remove the fears of those workers 
Now, that's one problem. Um, it's one that there's been some progress in terms of, of, of this, but there's still um, an economy, whether you're in coal or you're in fast food or whether you're in, you know, internet or whatever, whatever part of the economy you are, there is very few protections, if we look in global terms, for workers in terms of uh, jobs being created and jobs lost. But the bigger question, I think, is what is the vision of the international trade union movement? And here, there's we start from a point of view where most unions understand there is a climate emergency and they want to be part of the solution, whether they're in the public sector or the private sector. They're human beings. They're working class people. And yes, there's Obviously, because unions reflect the working class and opinions within the working class, there's going to be those who feel that it shouldn't be a trade union issue. But, you know, that it's not the job of a union to be getting involved in things like climate change. That's not, not why I joined the union. But that's, I think, a minority view, and it's one that's changing over time. But the vision is we want to do something about it. The question is how. And where Trade Unions for Energy Democracy comes into this debate is that we cannot, as unions, assume that the transition to a low carbon future is underway when it clearly is not underway. We cannot assume that an energy for profit system can deliver climate targets. That's right. not true. So we can't, our, our, this, this is a fundamental point because if we're talking about a just transition, there first of all needs to be a transition if there isn't one that addresses the climate emergency, then that shapes the whole political discussion. That's why energy democracy, public control of energy, allows us to address the challenges of decarbonization in a rational, science-based, planned, and non-profit way, bearing in mind that there are enormous challenges, whether it's public or private, but it needs to be public so we can take the market out of the equation. And profit is in the equation, then that means we have to mobilize investment from private investors. And if they don't want to invest, they won't, cannot be forced to invest. They'll take the subsidies. Well, that's the problem with capitalism. You cannot tell a company what to do. That's like. That's right. So uh, you're talking about life sustaining ecosystems on a planet which could soon have eight or nine billion people. And we are at the mercy of. But large investment capital, mm -hmm. and and that has got to change, and that will right. change. And thinks we're on the. I think we're on the verge of a turning point in global. Uh, okay, uh, there, there are two nuances here that I'd like to ask about. Uh, first is the question of, um, and and it's a question to both of you really, uh, because it's not only for the unions to understand that there is a genuine need for decarbonization and. Uh, using less fossil fuels in general. I think that, uh, so in, in this sense, I agree with you that probably the majority of trade unions all around, trade uh, union members all around the world, they kind of understand that. But there is another element here because, you know, miners for unions in any country, in any culture, I believe, they are something more than just another branch of workers. They are like the vanguards. They are the, you know, the most emblematic part of the uh, of the labor movement they are the most uh, in in many cases the most heroic like for example in Poland where I'm uh, where I live and I think it is a huge 
psychological even problem, if you like, and political, of course, for the unions to just, uh, you know, write them off. Like, okay, we're not going to have miners anymore uh, within our ranks within like, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 years or, you know, whatever the time framework would be. Uh, and I, I, I just can't but wonder, how do unions react to that? Pablo, do Pablo. you want to take right. that right. Pablo. Uh, Yeah, please. It's, it's a difficult one because there's different unions in different countries. Um, I don't think there's any minor left in the UK. <laughs> there's very few working ones, I mean. Uh, and there are countries where there hasn't ever been a minor uh, in the trade union movement because there are hardly any mines. But yes. I, I see your point. Are you based in Poland, where there are still quite a few miners. <laughs> very, very important. <laughs> they are coal miners of, of, all, of all of them. Um, but uh, I, I think here the element is who pilots the train, who is in the in the in the driving seat. Because as Sean was saying, if it's if it's the market, which is what has been for many many years and what the European institutions are promoting, you know, emissions trading systems, market-based solutions, uh, you call it whatever you want to call it, but it's basically this, you know, just you, your, your, your sector is condemned, and, um, and, you know, there'll be a transition, and some of you will lose the job, some of you will get a new job in a shopping mall. And, of course, for a well-paid, um, intensive labor uh, middle-aged workers this is just like they basically start watching Ken Loach films and then they go depressed or then then they support uh, their employers and, 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 and that so I think we need to move that move out from this frame and say this can be done otherwise but we need to pilot it we, we need to be in the pilot set because and we cannot leave it to the market this needs to be as Sean was saying in a non-for-profit and by and, and with workers control that's the only way that is not gonna the, deprive regions and and transform them into the terrible wastelands that there are in the north of england and, and and in scotland where there is no investment because that's the real issue here it's like how who is gonna invest there in you know reskilling and upskilling and in in the people and in the environmental impact and so on and so forth well no one does except for uh, public, uh, for governments, and they need to have the, the, the means. I mean, if you look at global figures, um, there is a strike of investment. Mm -hmm. In any case, they're basically using public money to do private investment through PPPs, through uh, tax breaks, and through um, mechanisms of, of this kind. And what we're saying is stop doing this and just use public money for public uh, benefit under public control. Um, and that's a difficult transition because it, it really also has to, to become a ideologic change, so to say, for, for some trade unions, not be passive of like, we don't want this to be closed. It's like, we want this, 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 and that. Uh, and right. so now you need to be very political. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, except for those who produce uh, or mine coal or produce energy in the power plants there are also those who consume energy and i think for them it's also difficult to sometimes uh understand the thing the the thought that energy uh has to uh, that they should consume less energy because the way that they are uh, sort of um 
persuaded to use less energy, particularly in the European Union, we can see that with the, with the plans, uh, with the energy plans, energy packages, and so on and so forth, is that the energy prices are going up all the time. And, you know, for people, uh, particularly from the poorer countries uh, in, the, in, in Europe or in, in the EU, it's a, it's a very frustrating experience because they are enduring all kinds of hardships anyway all the time. And now on top of everything, it's, you know, the, the, those rise, price rises, which are uh, simply killing their, their budgets. So uh, I do understand that we need a political solution. We need, uh, you know, the workers or, or the unions uh, to be at the forefront of, of this process of change. Uh, but it also, I think, is a question of communicating it. Like, people have to know about all those things, about all those initiatives. And I wonder, uh, Sean, what are your impressions? How is this going? Like, is there more and more understanding globally? Look, I mean, there's certainly understanding of the, of the problem, right? There's understanding, especially in the global north, right? Global mm -hmm. south, you're absolutely right. If I was on the streets of Johannesburg under COVID lockdown without a job, and been unemployed all my life, I don't think I'd be worried that much about climate change. We get it. But look, we reference Poland, and you're, you're from Poland. What's on the agenda in Poland is either the, first of all, Germany burns more coal than Poland. It may have less coal miners, but it, in terms of tonnage and lignite generation. So the current policy would say, should be, or rather a public policy would say, look, the phase out of coal is not a five minute process. It's many years. And Poland's energy system is dependent on coal. To basically break up the national energy system and bring in wind and solar from Danish, Spanish, and German multinationals who are gonna come in and sell power to Poland under power purchase contracts, which are going to be very expensive for the Polish people, there are this builds resistance to the policy. It's not just the coal miners losing their job. Mm -hmm. As you pointed out, it's also about energy price increases. It's also about the problems of variable energy, of wind and solar. Don't The wind doesn't blow all the time and the sun doesn't shine all the time. So you need extensive capacity increases again don't want to be too te technical but the polish miners know this they know that it's not just about their jobs it's about energy self-determination now this doesn't mean a trade union should say well we've got coal so we're going to burn it and too bad for the rest of you because that is an untenable position because we live under one atmosphere and so this is part of the the need for a global public goods approach and not just throwing a little bit of money at some coal miners and hoping they'll go away and be happy. It's about a planning of the energy transition, which is, it makes public ownership. Okay, but do you see the elements of that planning? Well, put it this way, there's planning at the level of the energy system already. The trouble is the planning is based on the market. So governments do what they call capacity auction. So as a coal plant gets old and needs to retire, they will then put out for auction, presumably through renewable energy companies, to bid for the capacity. So there's an element of planning already. Mm -hmm. The problem with it is those model of power production is a, what I call a build and sell model. You build the power generation 
and then you sell the power at a price pre-agreed, locked in for 25 years. Where is the incentive there then to not sell power? Where is the incentive to conserve energy, to insulate homes? Where is that? It's not going to come from private renewable energy companies, and it's not going to come from private coal, oil, and gas companies. Right. Absolutely. So, I just wait in because yeah, exactly. here, here the issue, I mean, as Sean was saying, where's the incentive to isolate homes? We need to reduce consumption. But why do we need to reduce consumption? Because this is, sometimes you get this greeny argument. It's like, we do not need to reduce consumption for people not to have light 24 hours 7 and they not be able to read like uh, in Edison's time. We need, because we're wasting a huge of energy in badly isolated houses. Because in many, 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 put how many, many as you want in that sentence, buildings, these individualized heating systems, which are ludicrous, because in new constructions of buildings, they can today be done collectively. So you have one boiler, which is more efficient. And here, the matter is efficiency, because efficiency will lead you to less energy poverty. Um, and we are in the contrary. We are in the other loop. I mean, there are millions uh, of buildings or tens of millions of buildings that need to be renovated. And that would be an amazing uh, creation of employment if done outside of the market. Because you need to do, well, I mean, some, some companies like Saint-Gobain will just go, yes, please build as many windows as you can command. But that, that talking about, uh, you know, we need a plan to know how many double glazings do we need, triple glazings do we need to do, how many passive homes do we need to, to do, how many homes we need to uh, take the asbestos out and put other thing else that is more uh, isolating. And that needs calculation. And then you can actually say yeah. how many of these miners would actually be transformed into in this sector, in that sector, in the other sector. Right. Uh, unless you have the capacity to provide with an overall response and you leave it to the market, then the people who fell through, that there's, no, there's only like social security systems to pick them up, like in cycling, you know, the last car uh, that basically picks the, the cyclists that, that just uh, drop from the race. Right. Well, but that's what's happening. And at the same time, everyone sees that unemployment benefits are being cut and so on. So it's logic that I want to just save my ass, excuse my French, to the <laughs> listeners. But that, that, that I come back to my point that either we pilot this, uh, uh, we are basically giving an all comprehensive uh, response or all responses will be limited and someone will say, doesn't convince me in the trade union movement, I'm saying. Right, right. But, uh, you know, everything you said sounds absolutely logical, but it also sounds very complicated. Uh, it, it's, it's a real endeavor in a sense that so many actors have to be involved and it's uh, not just energy, right? It's mining, it's construction, it's all, all other branches and sectors of economy. And I just, uh, I wonder because, you know, all those owners of, 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 of mines and of uh, energy plants uh, that is corporate owners, they also have to agree uh, to be part of that process. Uh, and I wonder, how do we um, how do we make them agree? By the, act, was that, by the force of faith or the act of law, uh, I think is the sentence. I mean, they can only wait for the seas to grow up and all the mines to get flooded with uh, 
seawater if they want. I mean, uh, if, you know, at the end of the day, climate change will affect some of the ownership patterns as much as it will affect people living. When the rivers all flood in Germany this summer and in Belgium, and there is destruction and so on, they will ask for subsidies. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, yes. Uh, right. But that's part of the trade union for energy democracy debate. It's like what, what type of ownership? Because, I mean, if you think that you own something, you can do whatever you want to, to the rest of the environment, not thinking the consequences that for the rest of the economy, stroke society, stroke the planet. But right. they an issue. Okay, Sean, so what, what's that. your take on this? Well, look, if, in terms of the size, the political task, right? I mean, if we go back to, say, 1980, nearly all the electricity systems in the world were public, and many of them operated on a non-profit non basis. The neoliberal privatization regime managed to privatize in the global north nearly all of the systems, and they also pushed that policy on the global south. So they did it because they're of their belief that the market would do things better. That has proven to be a disaster. Our job is to reverse those reforms. Now, five years ago, that would have been politically you know, too unimaginable, mission impossible. And now we're sitting in a situation is the Paris Agreement has not, no one is complying with the Paris Agreement in terms of reaching their targets. Energy systems are chaotic. Even the mainstream voices, even investors are saying climate protection should be a global public good. The OECD is saying the same. The, the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations has talked about the need for a global public goods approach to pandemics, climate change, and other basic social, ma major social problems. So this is our goal. We have to reverse those laws. Governments need to move in. They need to collaborate with each other in genuine distribution of technologies, knowledge, and skills. This is another massive question. You've got five countries producing nearly all of the wind turbines in the world. You've got four, three countries producing 90% of the solar panels in the world. And there's not enough industrial capacity to develop the low carbon energy system. That's another massive problem that could be solved through. So you, you just, what you're, what you're saying, saying is like, is like we, have we have to take, take the corporations, corporations out of the equation. Let's be realistic about We have to be realistic about it. If you're taking over your energy system in South Africa, which it is public now, but if you push out the private corporations, you have a choice now of going to multinationals based in China or Europe in order to decarbonize your system. So it cannot just be done at the level of um, at the level of the, of, the, of, a, of a nation state. But yes, it is inconceivable that we are going to reach climate targets on the basis of profit-for-profit energy. Will those existing companies still have a role? Possibly, if they agree that they are selling technologies to generate power, not selling electricity on a 25-year power purchase contract. That's a two completely different approaches. Those companies and the workers in those companies could have plenty of work for the next several decades if they supported a global public goods approach. And I think that's that's the sort of model at the moment. Right. Uh, we.
Hello. All right. We went uh, completely out of time. Uh, thank you, Sean, and thank you, Pablo, uh, for being with us, for uh, your insights and comments. And uh, I would like to invite our viewers and listeners to please uh, visit the EPSU website, epsu.org, and to subscribe to EPSU's Telegram channel. And uh, I, uh, I would like to uh, wish everyone a great day. Stay healthy. Keep fighting. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. This is an European Public Service Union podcast.